Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees. This phrase, for this cause, actually started off this chapter. For what cause? For what reason? And uh, we talked about what Paul said in the previous chapter. And so he's about to begin a summary of his prayer for the church at Ephesus. Um, and he's starting out the gate trying to explain to him, this is why I'm praying. For this reason I am praying. In light of the truth I've been telling you, this is what I am praying. For this cause. Because we have been made alive together by Christ. Because we have been saved by His grace. Because we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Because we are fellow citizens with the saints. Because Jesus is the chief cornerstone of our foundation. Because we are built together for a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. He's reminding him of all these things that I've told you about. These are the reasons why I'm going to prayer. This is in, in light of these truths, in light of these riches, I'm praying these things. A simple way to say this would be because of what God has done and is doing in your lives, I humbly pray these things on your behalf. Say, I'm going to pray on your behalf in light of these truths truths that I've been telling you. In light of the riches of Christ, I'm going to pray on your behalf. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase, I bow my knees, we actually have all different types of, in Scripture, of the way people pray. Some people pray standing up. Some people pray sitting down. Some people pray with their face in the ground. And I just realized I rhymed. I'm like Dr. Seuss up here. <laughs> In this case, he's talking about praying on his... <laughs> Sorry, that's so funny. <laughs> uh, praying on uh, his knees. And the Bible doesn't have a specific recipe of... Your prayers are only answered if you're in this position while you're praying, if your eyes are closed, if your eyes are open. I got a really funny story about that because um, I'm not going to give any names out. You probably wouldn't know anyway. But many years ago, when I was in college, um, we had a guest speaker that was teaching us how to pray. And he said the right way to pray is on your knees. You shouldn't pray any other way. Well, on your knees with your eyes closed. And then during the sermon, he started explaining how one time he was looking for a parking spot while driving and was praying for one. With his eyes open, sitting. Hey, sorry. Um, <laughs> but five minutes ago, you said you had to be on your knees with your eyes closed. <laughs> and God, he said God answered his prayer, gave him a spot. So anyway. Um, <laughs> That's not the point of this passage, but I didn't even say this is how you're supposed to be positioned while you pray. But as Paul's writing this letter, he is sharing his humility before God. I bow my knees to God. And all of us know that when you bow down on your knees, that this is a position of submission, a position of humility, a position of I don't have anything else I can do. I'm dependent on you. 
And we talked in great length last week about how all the things that we can't do anything, everything, I mean, God is our righteousness, God is our everything, and we need to submit to Him. And I don't know about you guys, but when I look around us, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but we look around us, we look in our country, we look around the world, we could use some more humility. We could use some more humility, understanding that without God, we don't even exist. Without God, we have no air to breathe. And Paul's saying, I'm humbly asking you this. I'm humbly about to pray these things for the church at Ephesus. I'm humbly praying these things because I know you don't even have to answer my prayer. Earlier, literally just like a verse or two ago, he talked about boldness going into faith. These aren't contradicting each other. Because the boldness in which he's talking about isn't boldness in himself in prayer. It's not like, I'm Paul, so I know God's going to hear me. <laughs> no. The boldness is in what Christ has done. The boldness is that this ability to go pray to God, to talk with God, was purchased by Jesus on the cross. And it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the boldness that we have isn't in us. The boldness is in Christ alone. The boldness is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But as far as I'm concerned, I have to come before Him humbly. I'm bold in what God can do and who He is. But in regards to who I am, I come before Him humbly. I come before Him humbly. And we definitely can use more humility. Not just in the generic sense um, in, in the world, in our country, but in the church, we could use more humility. And like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that near the end. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, God is timeless, right? He exists outside of time. I pray to you, you are the father of all the saints that have believed in the past, all the saints that are believers now, all those that are going to get saved in the future and become believers in the future. He's the father of them all. He is named above them all. Our God is timeless. He exists outside of time. He is going to continue on and do things way beyond us. This is to whom he's praying to you. The God of the universe, the God that lives outside of time, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now this phrase is very interesting because it doesn't say out of the riches of his glory. It says, according to the riches of his glory. And there's a bit of a difference. Um, I recently read an interesting story in light of this passage um, of uh, someone named Rockefeller who was rather wealthy. Um, and when he would go golfing, he would tip the caddy a dime. Reach in his pocket, give him a dime. Um, he probably could have tipped bigger than that. I'm sure that one might be like a, probably a regular tip for anybody else that was out golfing, but for him, he probably could have tipped more. But the thing is, the difference is he was tipping out of his riches. He had a dime. 
but he wasn't tipping in accordance with his riches. It didn't match up with what he could do. God doesn't owe us anything. All we deserve from God is condemnation and judgment. And when he redeems us in Christ Jesus, he doesn't just, hey, here's a tip. He blesses us according to his riches. That's why last week we talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ and his kingdom. He wants us to experience all of him and all of his treasures and all of his riches. And we can't even begin to comprehend it, but he wants us to experience all of him and all of his fullness. Not just a little bit of him. And no matter how much God gives, no matter how much God blesses, he can never run out. He'll never run out. He gives according to his riches, and his riches are unsearchable. Our God who owes us nothing gives according to his riches. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may, able to, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What a powerful prayer. He's not praying for their safety. He's not praying for their health. He's not praying for their wealth. He's praying for their heart. He's praying that they may know Christ more and His love more. He's saying, I want you to be possessed by, grounded in, overflowing with Christ and His love. May we humbly pray to God and ask that we may know Him more. Not, God, can you do something for me? No, God, can I know you more? Can I be strengthened by you more? Can I know your love more? In light of the unsearchable riches of Christ, we know that, uh, you know, we talk about who God is, His blessings, His kingdom. It's unsearchable. It's unmeasurable. But it's, it's even more intense than we could realize because if we take one of His riches, one of His attributes, in this case, His love. His love in and of itself is so massive that it passes our ability to understand with our own intellect. Just as love. We're not even talking about everything else. Just as love. No wonder his full riches are unsearchable. 
when his individual attributes are intellectually unfathomable. In regards to verse 18, it talks about the breadth, the length, the depth, and height. To bring some more depth to that, uh, uh, J. Vernon McGee put it this way. The breadth. The arms of Christ reach around the world. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. The length. The length of it begins with the lamb slain before the foundation of the world and proceeds into the endless ages of eternity. The depth. The depth goes all the way to Christ's death on the cross and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The height. The height reaches to the throne of God who Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Only the Holy Spirit can lead a believer into the vast experience of the love of Christ. Since it is infinite, it is beyond human comprehension. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 says this, He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Can I get an amen right there? nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. This phrase, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy. Have you guys ever looked up into the sky? I remember the last time I read this passage. And I stopped. And I looked up. And I was like, that's a lot of mercy. Or if you look up at night and see the stars, you can't even count all the stars in the expanse of it. So we know that even just from human experience, when you look up into the sky, it's like in that moment we're in awe of how small that we are. As we grow up, we kind of get out of tune with it. Like, oh yeah, yeah, big universe, whatever. We just are used to it doing its thing. I remember many years ago, I believe it was, was Emma. We might have only had Emma at the time. Uh, maybe Jesse, but and we got out of the car one night and she looked up and the moon was really bright that night and she went, wow, just like that. And I'll never forget that moment because I was like, when's the last time I was wowed by the moon? It's the moon. But she recognized how much greater that was than herself. She was like, wow. So we understand that from human experience, but then even in regards to science, they can't measure the heavens. Every time they think they've gotten, oh, we think we're this, oh, it's bigger. They can't, they're always trying to count and measure and estimate and guesstimate, and it's just, they can't count it all. They can't measure it all. That's how great the mercy of God is. This is how great God's love is. We are a tiny speck in the universe. 
we can kind of comprehend that in regards to science and looking up, but God is using that as a description of His mercy. It's much bigger than we can fathom. He goes on to say, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. His love is so great that when we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus and He justifies us, He takes our sin and separates it so far, you can't measure it. It's an infinite length. <laughs> This is just beginning to describe and try to understand how massive God's love is. I love the way Psalm 63 puts it. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like what this life has to offer and what this life has shown just makes you feel left and kind of dry? What is he thirsty for though? He says this, to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. He says, I want to see you. I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. I'm all dried up. Why does he want to see him? Because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. He's saying that God's love is better than life. The most amazing, wild experiences of your life. And I'm thankful for those moments of, of happiness or joy or excitement. I'm very happy for those moments. But God's love is better than all of my most happiest and joyous experiences. Because His love is better This is why last week we said, if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. In one of his attributes, we have everything that we need. If you took all the most loving people in all human history, I don't know, I know some pretty amazing loving people. And we can comprehend it. But if you took all their love and compounded all that love together, for all human history, the most loving people in all of human history, took all their love, compounded all that love together, it wouldn't even begin to resemble the love of God. Because we would still be able to logically intellectually understand that love but the love that we have from God in Christ Jesus it so far surpasses anything in this world that we cannot even attempt 
to fully understand. What we can comprehend is how incomprehensible it is. And this comprehension is made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. This love is so great, you won't understand it without the help of God himself. And even when he gives you that understanding, you can still drown in it. That's how great God's love is. And so this is Paul's prayer. He's humbly saying, God, strengthen their inner man, that their heart, that you may dwell in their heart, that they may begin to understand how high it is, how low it is, how wide it is, how great it is, how beyond comprehension it is. God, may they know you. May they know your love. That's his prayer. There's a lot to pray about. There's a lot of good things to be praying about. May we not forget to pray that we may know him more. That we may know his love more. May we pursue him above all else, even in our prayers. Verse 20. Now unto him, unto God, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. I love these words, exceeding abundantly above so here comes boldness again and his boldness isn't in himself it's the power that's working in them that he has the boldness in the god that is working in their lives he has great boldness. you know what i'm praying that you might know him and know him more be strengthened in your inner man that you may live the christian life and know god more but i know god can do that and go way beyond that he can go way beyond what I can fathom. So Paul's saying, God can do more than I can articulate with my words. He can do more than what I know how to pray. He can do so much more. And so may I say this, when I think that God, what I think God can do, He can do more. What I think God can't do, He can and way beyond that. I don't know what some of you guys have been praying for or what's been on your heart. And I don't know what God's going to do because what matters is God's will in it. But I know this, God can. He can answer that prayer. God can have that miracle on your life you've been praying for. Maybe you've been praying a long time. And maybe it's not God's will. But make no mistake that He can. He can. My whole life growing up in church we'd always pray for our country we'd always pray for a renewing a revival 
of God in our midst, that people would get saved and understand God's love for them and be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that people would seek his face. God can do that. God can do that. Our dependence should not be and cannot be on November 3rd. Because regardless of who's in the White House or who's in the Senate, God can. God can do great and wondrous things beyond what I can even think. May we believe that. Verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. He's saying God deserves all the glory. He deserves all the glory now. He deserved all the glory yesterday. He will deserve all the glory that there ever will be. All the honor, all the praise, all the glory for eternity belongs to God alone. It belongs to God alone. Make no mistake, God does not share His glory. And when one day as a believer, when I stand before Christ, all that I will have to offer Him is what He has produced in me. Not what I've done. Because all the works of the flesh that I have produced will be burned up in the fire. And when I stand before him, all that will be left is what he has done. God's not going to look at me and say, wow, you did a really good job with all that stuff. Like, All I have to give him, all that I'll have left of me is only what God has done. What God has produced. The fruit of the spirit that he has produced in my life. And by God's grace, if he does said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it's because he made you faithful. He enabled that. He did that. We even see this imagery of receiving crowns, right? And what do they do? They throw the crowns back down at his feet because they know that they didn't earn them. It was the grace of God in their lives. And they throw it down to his feet. Because God does not share glory. He deserves all the glory alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 31 says this, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised have God chosen and things which are not to bring to not things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence 
But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Don't miss this. The wisdom, godly wisdom that we may have, it is from God alone, not from us. Righteousness, that's not from us, that is from Him. Our sanctification isn't because we worked really hard at it, it's because of Him. Our redemption, it is from Him. That according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Isaiah 42.8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. So, what should our response be? 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. All that we do, all that we pray, all that we pursue should be to the glory and honor and praise of God, the creator of the universe, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He deserves all the glory. Now if you see this all total in this very brief and simple prayer, you see the humility of Paul boldly coming before God, asking that we may know God more, we know his love more, understand that we need him to be our foundation, our strength, that all the glory belongs to him. He can do way more than I can think. But I'm afraid that we've become arrogant and wanting to receive glory for ourselves. Look what I've done. Look at my accomplishments. Look at all this that I've done. Look what our church does. Look at this thing that I've done. Instead of all glory to God and humbly asking, can I know you more? Can I know you more? As believers, we're called to know God more and to make Him known. Not to celebrate myself and tell people more about me. I know it's, it's common, it's part of our understanding of American culture and politics, but politics is just so arrogant, all of it. Where everyone thinks, well, look at all my accomplishments. I'm great. I'm amazing. I'm fantastic. Well, look at my accomplishments. I'm great. I'm fantastic. Pick me. 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 I'm great. Then, of course, third party. You forgot about me. Oh, sorry. When in reality, any good thing that can come forth politically, any righteousness that can be produced in our nation is a gift from God. It's from God. It's not from this amazing politician who just has everything fixed. No, it's from God who does that. I, I look at uh, a political figure in the Bible in Acts who was 
rather arrogantly telling everyone about his accomplishments and didn't mention God. God struck him dead. Because he wanted to receive all the glory in and toward himself. But any good thing that can happen, it is from God. Now, it's easy to talk about that within politics and to kind of poke fun of that or look at different people and, and see all those things. And, but I'm afraid that's what's happening in our Christian homes, in our churches, in our families, is that we're getting caught up with so many other things instead of being consumed with knowing God more and declaring Him to the nations, doing more of His love, being strengthened by Him as our everything. So may we fall on our knees. May we humbly ask God, God, can I know you more? Can I know your love more? We strengthen me to walk with you, to know you, to share your name as a good steward of the gospel of grace that you've given to me. God, may I be overwhelmed and consumed by you that you may dwell in me. That I may have sweet fellowship with you. All glory and praise to your name.